This episode is sponsored by World Anvil. World Anvil is an award-winning world-building and writing software for people who love to create rich and exciting worlds. Dungeon Crawlers. We would be honored if you would join us. All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers Radio, where we have returned shorthanded, but a little better because we have a great guest mm-hmm. with us tonight. Uh, you've heard his voice before eons ago uh, with when Krebs first showed up on the show, as well as recently when we were at FanX um, in September. Mm-hmm. So uh, Morgan Smith, welcome back. Uh, Morgan is uh, owner and the amazing creator of CryoWin Games. So I'll let you kind of let them know because maybe they have they don't remember the last time you were on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Really good to be back. Hi, everybody. Uh, yep, I'm Morgan. Uh, uh, Crywind Games, and I am a professional dungeon master. Uh, these days, all my games are online. Uh, I use virtual uh, Foundry Virtual Tabletop and uh, several other systems to run my games. I've had clients all over the world uh, and across the country. And right now, me and my Players are running through my own homebrew world. Uh, I've been writing a novel since I was about 14 and uh, started to run into some mental roadblocks on that and was like, hey, I need some people to help me out with this. So I threw them into my world to help me flesh out the the details of a complicated space and they have been loving it so far. Uh, And uh, it's been really great to dive in and see my world come to life outside of my own head a little bit. Nice. So, yeah, that's that's a little intro to me. Hi, guys. Hey, so, Morgan. It's great to have you back. Yes. Thank you. So if you haven't already guessed, uh, this episode is going to be focused on tabletop gaming. Games like Pathfinder, D&D, Deadlands, you know, you name it, those type of, of games. That is something that we've talked about often, but maybe not often enough. But... The great thing about these type of games is, you know, like Morgan said, I mean, if you get stuck in a book, you can kind of throw people into that world to help flesh that out. It's also a great place to go just to have fun. And Mm -hmm. it's also something that is very prevalent in media. Now, it used to be, at least when I was growing up, it, yeah, you rarely ever heard about Dungeons and Dragons or something like that. And if you did, it was always in hush whispers because some child was worshiping demons or something like that. Now you can see it in, you know, media like Stranger Things. Uh, You know, I remember in the late 90s when it was kind of joked about in the movie Airheads, you know, at the very end when you have Brendan Fraser up there because he looks like this big uh, heavy rocker and he's like, I play D&D. And then everyone else starts going, so did I, Um, because it was kind of that way. But now you have people like Joe Magniella playing it vin diesel i mean the the list goes on it's not something that is hidden anymore which is awesome and amazing and so that's why we're going to talk about that this evening but more importantly we're going to kind of focus on mythical creatures in your game uh we've talked Mm -hmm. about villains we've talked about heroes uh, world building and stuff like that let's we're going to kind of focus and narrow our, our 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 scope a bit for mythical creatures now i guess the first question is is what are some of the more popular mythical creatures out there that people will more than likely see or use in a game? Well, first and foremost, it's in the name, dragons. 
Yes. Dragons and dragons and dragons. Uh, and they can be a little campy. They can be certainly overused. Uh, Wizards did a great job with coming out with Fizzband's Treasury of Dragons last year, which was a beautiful refresh to the to the genre of dragons themselves. Lots of great creativity in there. Awesome stuff. Um, but they're amazing for a reason. Uh, you know, they can be these massive brute creatures, but they can also be uh, transformed individuals that are walking around in city that nobody knows about. And uh, they can also be incredibly intelligent, evil bad guys because they have higher intelligence than just about everybody. Um, there's they're an incredibly versatile force to deal with. So can't not talk about them first. Correct. And sometimes they even come in pudgy form. They do, <laughs> which made me so happy. I know. Um, I never I never knew I wanted a pudgy dragon until I saw the movie. <laughs> and now I have to put one in my game. Uh and oh, not yeah. only that, just the way they incorporated, like, you know, the dragon didn't try to run. It just slid across the bones mm-hmm. or it just rolled. Like, I mean, it was it was oh, dying. We we need more hybrids of corgis and dragons. Yes. <laughs> yeah, not even like the, the slim corgis, but the ones that I haven't seen outside in like six years. Yeah, that have like probably ate 10 pounds of food a day. Uh yeah. it that was the thing that I, I really like. Dragons, you know, every culture that's ever existed has a myth about dragons in yeah. some form or another, you know. You have the eastern dragons, which are more of a, a long serpent that don't have wings, but can still fly. They're elemental based. And then you come towards the western dragons, which are more, you know, they ha- they're kind of a little bit more demonic looking with the giant horns and bat wings. They can breathe fire. Uh, mm-hmm. Even to, you know, I, I hate to say it, but Hollywood still has them wrong, but they're still considered dragons, even though they only have two legs and their front legs are attached to their wings. You mean wyverns. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they still call them dragons. It drives me nuts. But yeah. the great thing is, is this creature has lived from, from you know, the beginning of time through myths to our current current way we do myth, which is storytelling in books, comics, cartoons and and movies but there are also other great creatures out there that have survived that are out there as well so let's let's jump into a few of those other ones that are more popular anyone else i'll I'll let you you start that one are we counting werewolves or those not the right uh kind of creature i mean technically they're werewolves exist werewolves and vampires exist in this weird realm where they are mythical creatures and they're not they're kind of this unnatural creature because because they're in that like gothic genre it almost feels like they fall out yeah but there's plenty of myths about them there are and it and that seems to be where that border is in that that gothic sphere that they're kind of more of an unnatural creature because they were originally man that is converted to a different type of creature, whereas a dragon has never been man. Um, well, then the but, other most famous mythological creature I can think of would be probably elves because they show up in all kinds of forms yeah. in all mm-hmm. kinds of uh, yes. literature. Yeah, elves yeah, are and, other great. And, yeah, that's another example of like, you know, you're talking about dragons, like 
hitting every single culture out there. Like elves are almost as prevalent. Uh, you go uh, Nordic, you go Eastern, you go, um, you know, you go European and they're all there. Yes. Um, and just in various forms and stuff. And so those are pretty cool as well. I don't necessarily consider them mythical creatures just because like uh, a mythical creature to me because I'm so ingrained and stuff is like, no, it's a, it's a beast. It's a monster. It's going to, Mm-hmm. It's not going to live in a city and, and you know, have a job and, you know, raise kids and, and stuff. And that's where, you know, hey. that's where elves come in. So, like, there's a little Still distinction for babies. me, but I'm like, yeah, they, they are. No, this is absolutely true. So it's like non-humanoid, but okay. yeah, non, yeah. non-humanoid is where I immediately go. But you're right, Matt. There is yeah. quite you a know, myth culture to right. them. Let, let's, I, let's go ahead. I was just thinking there's a couple of book series that I think do a good job of subverting expectations on mythological creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does include elves and dwarves and gnomes and fairies and other things of, of that nature. Um, and it's an older series, the uh, Warlock series by Christopher Stasheff. Yeah. Um, and basically it's a whole bunch of uh, a society for creative anachronism and LARPers uh, get in the far future, get on a spaceship, go to a planet, they get their memories wiped so that they actually adopt the personas that they've been play acting before. They actually wow. want to become those people, but the planet they happen to land on has a form of moss that reacts to uh, human thought. And there was also a lot of people in this group, just because those kind of people tend to group together that had some, some Latin psychic psychic abilities or telepathic abilities and so as they begin to interbreed over the generations you actually develop real espers people with real psionic powers and they tell the stories of the elves and the gnomes and all the mythological creatures and monsters and the moss on the planet begins to form them and so you've got this planet that's in a medieval setting where you have magic powers uh like witches and warlocks but they're just using psionic abilities and the witch moss creates these creatures it's it's a fantastic series that has you know a second level of commentary on society the other then the, the second one i was uh thinking of was orson scott cards worms w-i-r-m-s and again they've called humans have colonized another planet and the native life forms there are trying to intersect with the species uh from terra from old terra and you have and in between is this weird state. The first generation is kind of half this, half the planet. And the second one and the second generation from that, they end up being perfect copies. But the in this in-between state, you get people that are short and stout, stocky, and they're very good with their hands and very intelligent. You get others that are very, very tall and willowy. They're elegant and noble um, and very stealthy. And all these things that you be, they never call them elves or dwarves or whatever but you can watch it you can see them and at the center of this all is the worm uh which is a, a prototype of a, of a dragon um and so it, it's it, and it's, it's not anything that you would expect it to be mm-hmm. you expect the tropes to take over and it doesn't uh so those are those are good examples i think of of literature mm-hmm. that yeah, uh, kind of turns the mythological creature on its ear I think some of the more popular mythological creatures that everyone's probably going to go, oh, yeah, the unicorn, definitely oh, mm-hmm. one. Um, you know, Chimera, a manticore. Uh, yeah. Griffin. The, the griffin, the hippogriff. 
there, there's definitely a lot of different types of myth, myth, mythical creatures that show up. Um, one that yeah. I really, really like that showed up in the Dungeons and Dragons movie, uh, Honor Among Thieves, was the Displacer Beast. It's definitely mm-hmm. one that has not really been done well in a in a film or live action movie until this one, because uh, I think it was even maybe it was like fourth edition or something like that. The displace the image of it looked like this this malnourished panther that was pretty much skin and bones with these weird tentacles. I loved how this one was very healthy, strong and mm-hmm. robust, and it was using all of its abilities. Uh, yeah, which was so cool to see. They 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 did it right, you know. I and and you're right. That is a really good list to to go through. I I am a particular fan of like Greek mythology, so anything from there, you know, uh, minotaurs, hydras, uh, yeah. chimeras, like you mentioned, uh, hippogriffs. You even have uh, pegasi. You know, it's just a horse with wings, but there's a lot of mythological lore there. Now, um, I've always wondered about about that because I thought Pegasus was the name of Zeus's favorite winged stallion, but I can't remember there ever being a name for the species. And so everybody just kind of adopted it as Pegasus, Pegasi, Pegasuses, which doesn't sound right <laughs> at all. Uh, so do, do you know anything more about that? Was there ever a better name than winged horse? So originally Pegasus was created by Zeus and then because that was pegasus the name became the name of the ra- the race of winged horses that's mm-hmm. how the, the the name and came about with lore yeah makes sense it's kind of yeah. weak writing it's <laughs> 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 like yes zeus named it pegasus and we didn't figure out any other thing we can call it winged horse didn't sound good so we just call him pegasus yeah, they're Pegasus or Pegasi. Uh, it is but interesting, but very definitively, if we if we get into like My Little Pony territory, and I've got two <laughs> daughters who remind me of this constantly, if it's both a Pegasus and a unicorn, it is an alicorn. So an get it alicorn. Right yes, that's I have the... no idea where that came from, but uh, yeah. My Little Ponies. Yeah. Well, no, yep. yeah, but yep. how did they come up with that name? Half uh, elephant, half unicorn. Yeah, uh, like, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it. I don't Unigus? know, but apparently I mean it sounds a lot map. better than Unigus or uh <laughs> <laughs> sounds or like Pegahorn. Yeah, Pegahorn, yeah. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, with these myth- mythical creatures, no, because definitely there's a long list. I mean, we could spend the whole time just going uh, off on a list. Uh so we have this group great group. You know, what are some of the best ways to use these type of creatures in your game? Uh, each of us have ran games. Each of us mm-hmm. have had that experience, you know, and of course, anyone loves to throw a dragon in. But, you know, how do you do that in a way that adds to the game, but doesn't ruin the game? Because that's really easy to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think it's about you know, it's not about like using the same tool as everybody else. It's about how you use it, you know, like. If you take a hundred contractors in the world and you put a hammer in all their hands, they're not all as equally capable with that hammer. Yeah. Um, and so you have to find, you know, and and don't try to be like the other guy. I think I said something similar to that like last time I was here. It's just like find what your strength is and roll with it. 
Um, I currently have werewolves and vampires in my campaign that I'm running, and I didn't want to do them the same way that they were do- being done everywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is not a spoiler because my uh, players both recently figured this out, but I've got one player who has vampirism in his bloodline and I didn't want to make it just this undead thing. And so like I did it where like vampires in my world, they behave similarly, but their origins are based on uh, those with like shades in their background. If you think of like a tiefling who has like demonic bloodline, Mm -hmm. uh, vampires are people with like shadow bloodlines in my world now. And like, even like uh, he, whenever he like pops his fangs, it's not teeth, it's extended solidified shadow. Um, So I was like, I wanted to to feel like a vampire, but like not have all the details, right? Be like, all right, there's a vampire, grab your steak, grab your cross, grab your garlic, and we're good to go. It's like, no, there's some, there's things that you don't know about this yet. And you have to figure out what is and what isn't familiar. And I think that keeps it fresh or at least it does in my head and i hope it translates well um and also like on the on the werewolf side i it's in my world it's not based on faces of the moon it's migratory uh it is seasonal where people uh hulk out and change into their lichen form and and whatnot and the players haven't figured out why yet and i'm excited to reveal that at some point but like you know taking enough of it and twisting it so it doesn't feel stale i think is important to me at least now you know that i was sorry to cut you off i just had a real quick question with your vampires do they still feed off of blood though they do okay um yeah so so there is still familiarity there but it's it's far less like i'm a creature of blood and it's more like i am a creature of shadow who happens to have blood as a nutrient source that i need all right matt you know what did it did this pretty well uh think back to uh werewolf by night uh marvel series on disney plus Mm -hmm. you have a party of hunters that all have different abilities and specialties and they're placed into a labyrinth if it was underground we just call the the idea of dungeons in dungeons of dragons is an underground labyrinth it's not really a dungeon in the classical sense (laughs) Uh, so you've got a party set loose in a labyrinth to hunt a dangerous monster so in a lot of ways this is the setup for a role-playing campaign what they did is they set up the environment to favor the creature in many ways and whenever you pull in a mythological creature i think the gm shouldn't be afraid to do things in that the, the give the creature the the advantage part of the coolness the cool factor of uh fighting at this this great mythological creature is all the lore that goes along with it so man load up your campaign um or like uh what morgan is saying um have them discover lore because this is similar to but not exactly the same as what you're used to uh and so they they did that really well in this and everybody kind of had everybody was in peril uh in that series so if you i I would kind of recommend it as a as a reference or as an example for people that want to gm their campaign with some uh with some creature like this it's a fun fun story and it's a great way to to tell the story to keep it exciting and to give it real stakes 
I really like the way they handled that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I kind of like how they handled it in Maze Runner. You know, the the mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of the creature that was in the Reavers. Maze. The Reavers. You know, they built up. You know, the the fear of those things, but you never saw one. You never really knew what it was, but you could feel the tension. You could feel the fear of the mm-hmm. characters and how palpable it was. And then when you finally see one, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, that that's why it's terrifying. You know, mm-hmm. and. You know, and then when they checks out, yeah, and then when they start running from it, it's like, yeah, I'd run from it too. And you can do that while your characters are venturing through the catacombs of some cave, uh, going through a maze, you know, by putting in little things. Uh, you know, I I would assume, you know, that the Minotaur in the maze had been through the Minotaur or the maze so many times that he could have easily found them and, and wiped them out. But no, the Minotaur terrified them, fed off of their fear, and mm-hmm. then finally, you know, would kill them after it had, you know, had satisfied its own lust from their fear and being terrified. So I would assume a creature, even a dragon, would do something the same. Uh, oh, yeah. You know. Like, I mean, if you go back and point at um, uh, Smaug from... Uh, oh, yeah. That's where I was going. The second, right, the second Hobbit movie, he plays with Bilbo like a cat with a mouse between its paws. Yeah, like and like eventually, eventually, like the the situation like gets away from him, but he is just reveling in his own immense power, and he is such a like narcissist about yeah. it that he just feeds himself on it, and it totally eventually he you know gets his he gets shot down and he's done because he like played into it too much there's a massive fear factor i i love the, the the comment about fear and like making stakes high because like you know dms don't be afraid to push your players the the, the probably the most satisfying times that i've ever had as a dm in a big encounter or something is like i don't think my players can handle this i think i'm gonna tpk and then they squeak by with the skin of their teeth and like they just do it and they and those are super satisfying. And the consequences are, it is a TPK, you know, if it doesn't go well. And cool, they are going to learn better for next time you run a campaign together. Like, and these are great opportunities to instill fear with these, like, these yeah. creatures that are literally legends in the real world that everybody's been hearing about. This is a fantastic time to ump the, the fear factor. Now it's time to chat about our sponsor, World Anvil. World Anvil is an award-winning world-building and writing software for people who love to create rich and exciting worlds. With their software, you can create your world, manage your campaign, plan your novel, create a world wiki, wow your players, make novels more interactive, and make your worlds come to life. You can find them at worldanvil.com, and if you put in the discount code DCR40, you will receive a 40% discount today. So there's something that uh, I don't know. Have either of you seen the new Shazam movie? Fury of the Gods? Yes, I have. Okay, I I skipped it. Are, are this might be spoiler? Are you okay with me? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so there's a scene late in the movie where you know they plant this tree and it starts giving birth to ogres and cyclopses and mm-hmm. and uh, manticores and all of these creatures that we see in classic myth mythical times and, and then unicorns yeah and then they're like 
you know, how do we defeat these? And they're like, well, there's only one thing that all these creatures are afraid of, and that's the unicorn. And the unicorns in that were kind of terrifying. They didn't look yeah. they were white and sleek with long flowing hair, but man, they had a massive horn on their head. Um, oh, yeah. That I thing don't like know a drill if for oil. really are ambrosia, but um, <laughs> those unicorns decimated the, those creatures. And mm-hmm. again, that's something subverting our expectations of what we expected the unicorn to be. First off, yeah. they found the unicorn in a dark cave-like structure. Most often we've seen them in these woodland glens with waterfalls and flowers. So to see him in this dark place with red eyes, you know, it's more like, oh, that's a, that's a nightmare. That's not a unicorn. But no, it was. So mm-hmm. I really liked how they, they used that and twisted that around. And again, that's another way that you can use a mythical creature and twist it around for your own u- uniqueness in a game yeah. and make I'm- it interesting i loved the way they depicted those for two reasons uh if you've ever read the full series of uh lion witch in the wardrobe yes uh the third book a boy the boy and his horse it's about one boy and his and his unicorn and the unicorn is a is a terror on the battlefield like uses its horn to like pierce through armor like it's nothing like it's it's a serious warrior and it's it's fantastically done so shout out to c.s lewis uh for doing this forever ago um but also uh in the in the dresden files which is my favorite book series uh there is like a dark fey unicorn and the way that they depicted it in the new shazam movie was as close of a visual as i've ever seen to like what i had in my head i was like oh my gosh they did it this is fantastic uh so just extra hype you brought that up and it, it continues to tickle me yeah no, Dresden Files is great. And again, that's another great example of mythical creatures that are not quite what we're, we're used to. Some of them are. Mm-hmm. Some of, you know, anything in, you know, the summer court are definitely what we're used to. And those things in the winter yeah. court have been twisted a little bit that are like, wait a minute, that's not quite right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely tickles those funny bones. And it's a, a great way to use those in, in games. So... Yeah. I, I, so that leads me to the next question. I mean, we've already covered the first three. Now, using these creatures, sometimes they're going to be, um, you know, what kind of challenges do you foresee you being able to use these creatures? Obviously, a dragon's going to be probably a big boss fight or something, um, but mm-hmm. maybe facing a manticore or a, let's say, a unicorn or even elves or dwarves. What kind of challenges can our listeners use these creatures for in their games? Sure. Uh, there's a lot of ways that you can go about it. Um, and I am about to spoil a little something about my campaign uh, ahead of time. <laughs> um, so uh, the player of Yaslin, if you're listening, or if anybody on my group, don't listen except for Yaslin. Um, <laughs> uh, They're going to uh, now. Oh yeah, for sure. So I'm probably going to share the link with them. Um, so she's playing a race of people that like bonds with a single creature and like, you know, goes through the, you know, creates a hybrid of them. Uh, if you're familiar with One Piece, the anime, it's like, oh, yeah. you know, your your base form. And then if you're Logia, you have like the middle form and then like the full beast form. Um, it's kind of like that. She bonded with a chimera. Uh, so a, a goat head, a lion head, a dragon head, and a snake tail. 
and she doesn't have perfect control over her bondmate yet. Uh, and so she has four distinct voices in her head constantly telling her that she's not doing it right. Like that are trying to wrestle control back from her so they can be released uh, from her service. And she only has a good relationship with the dragon so far. And the other three are constantly like trying to undermine her. Um, and it's not just treating it like it's just a monster, like, oh, look, a, like a mythical creature showed up. Let's hit it with our hammers and be done with it. It's like, no, create them as characters that are going to follow the group or that are going to have influence over time. And also don't be afraid to introduce something that is obviously way too powerful for your group to deal with that they have to eventually catch up to. Like if you, if you introduce uh, an intelligent Hydra that's, you know, meant for a level 12 party and your party's only level six so far, then like let it come back around and like toy with them from time to time, mess them up, give them the route where they should be escaping rather than just kill it until it's dead. You know, that that's kind of an uh, a boring encounter if it's just hit it, give them additional stakes or make it impossible and they have to find alternatives. So that's the, that's one of the ways that I'm enjoying the chimera right now. And, and a couple of other things and it's it's turning out very very well so far no i like that and that actually uh was going to answer jump into my like my next question but before we do that let's go back to matthew you know you've got a lot of these creatures that have associations with other creatures or have as you mentioned different forms and wouldn't it be an interesting campaign where they have to fight uh wormlings uh or there's they stumble across the dragon's eggs and that's their first introduction to the dragon protecting her eggs and it's just ferocious and scary and that's how they get introduced to it so they get a good healthy fear right from the beginning and then they realize they're going to have to eventually fight this thing uh and they're dealing with the different stages of dragon growth perhaps they even fight a minor dragon before they get up to the boss fight but uh so that so this this idea of progression of a lot of tiny creatures that are similar growing up to it um or some kind of ecosystem where you have multiple creatures that have these symbiotic relationships with each other another one is um like you talked about with the hippogriff or chimera um you've got these uh like manticore that's a good example you've got you stumble across the signs. There's this, and, and it's, it's like they did, um, like they do in a lot of movies where they don't show you the monster until like the end, but you see the signs of the monster. And so uh, you've got something that's poisoned with the scorpion's tail. You got something that was raked with uh, lion claws. You have something that seems to have some bird of prey, uh, a giant bird of prey attacked it or something like that. Uh, all of these are different aspects of the same creature, but the party is supposed to believe that they have a host of animals, giant animals or dangerous creatures. And then, it, and then they don't realize until later on that, well, this is all the same one. It's just different pieces all together mm -hmm. you know so you're using the multiple aspects of that creature to leave clues along the way um but they all appear to be something different and that, that harkens back to the idea of if you're going to use a creature use it use every bit of it mm -hmm. yeah that kind of ties back into like you know 
uh supernatural and like the monster of the week and like fringe x-files stuff like that like you mm-hmm. know th- there's all these clues that they have to like piece together and that is one of the you know one of the uh if you use it properly it can be a strength these creatures are incredibly well known so like if you if i like you know pull up uh you know i'm just some random creature that is only D related you know, is the general populace going to have any like personal knowledge about those? Probably not. But if I'm, if I'm talking about a Hydra and like, you know, or, or something like that, the player can start to put some pieces together and feel like they're being uh, clever. And I don't mean that demeaningly at all. It's like, they can start to stitch their own personal knowledge together yeah. uh, to, to make them feel like a detective. That's an enjoyable feeling, which is really cool to to give them, but you got to give them the, the, the breadcrumbs to follow. Yeah. I mean, just like uh, the Disney movie, Hercules, you know, when you see Hercules fight the Hydra and cut off the head, it only has one head, but everyone, I mean, except for really young kids, but every adult or teenager that watched that movie knew what was going to happen because he decided to cut off the head they knew it was going to split into two and then as he keeps slicing those off they're just like they knew what was going to happen it's because they knew that um and you know again if I, i love where you're going with you know use the tools that you have with the creatures leave claw marks leave you know, desolated areas or whatever is very familiar uh, to that creature. Uh, if you haven't ever seen the very first episode of Vox Machina, they do a fantastic job with that. Oh yeah, uh, leading mm. up to the appearance of that mythical creature. I'm not. I'm gonna. If you haven't seen it, uh, I'm gonna leave it for you to enjoy. But there is a lot of breadcrumbs that re- lead up to that, and when the creature's finally revealed, it's amazing, and it's like that's yes. Um, but again, that's mm-hmm. one of those times where you throw some low-level individuals, characters, against a really powerful creature. Which leads into my next question. Um, does a boss battle always have to be a fight? Because, in my opinion, it doesn't. I know a lot of people out there, it's like, okay, if you throw a creature in front of me, I have to kill it. Well, there's some times where you can't, because you're level 2, and it's got an... 22 armor class or whatever we want to call it and mm-hmm. it could kill you in one hit yeah i sometimes it's a negotiation like yeah. sometimes you have to you know uh just violence as the only tool that your group has is does not make for a very interesting campaign yeah uh so yeah it does need to be able to be swayed in different directions uh again i'm currently thinking of the the dresden files and it uh there's not much of a spoiler uh but like at some point like he starts interacting with literal gods and it's like he doesn't try to fight them because that would be (laughs) dumb (laughs) they would just blink and he would disappear forever uh you know but you know it's it's what can i do for you it's like what problems do you have can i make your life easier you know and and uh you know going back to our first creature of the night dragons like they've been alive forever you know and some of them are lazy or chubby (laughs) that like to slide down bone slides yeah um 
And it's just like, okay, what does the creature really want? Is the creature thirsting for violence all the time? If the answer is yes, then cool, run with it. But if the answer is like, it depends on the situation, then make a situation where it could swing in the other way. Well, and again, kind of referencing back to your point, Bilbo didn't go charging in trying to kill Smaug. He, you know, he used his wits. He was able to escape that encounter by, you know, outwitting the narcissist dragon, which was not an easy thing. Mm -hmm. Um, There are definitely other instances. I mean, referencing back to the D&D movie, they didn't try to kill the giant fat red dragon. They Mm -hmm. heard it enough to get away. Uh, That was really the, the point was to they got what they needed. They escaped. So that's kind of the point here is. You know, a boss fight doesn't always have to be about slaying the creature. It's about a- accomplishing a goal or an objective. Yeah, and solving the problem. And uh, that kind of goes into, and like, I think there can be a stigma on like, uh, as from like the DM side is like, no, I'm not going to give you the, I'm not going to give you experience unless you kill the thing. Because the only place that experience is listed is in the monster stat block for defeating it. Um but it doesn't have to be that way. If you uh, have players, and if you're running an XP system, and if you have players that have a, a clever interaction with a shopkeeper, like give them experience for that. If they successfully steal something, give them experience for that. Uh, if they talk themselves off a off a ledge, you know, when the guards are surrounding them and they get away with it, like give them experience for that. Let them have experience from interesting things. Uh, if it's crafting, it doesn't just have to be like violence related uh so don't make that mistake <laughs> well, i know that I mean, <laughs> give them experience if they can come out of a critical fail in a witty yeah. and spectacular way um i mean some of the greatest times gaming has been overcoming someone re- rolling that one and botching things up um, and that, that's one of the things I did appreciate about the D&D movie as well. You know, when Chris Pines playing his loot and comes in, there definitely was a one rolled there. I mean, how does a yes. get <laughs> stuck in this weird hole? <laughs> magic goes horribly awry. Absolutely. Uh, I have to, I have to, I loved the way that they did the movie. There were so many insights that I have as a DM and like that were just like, oh, this is, if you know the subtext here, strong enough it just becomes infinitely more funny um and that was that was one of those moments i yeah i would i wish i could talk about a whole lot more but it's too fresh of a movie it's still in theaters i don't want to be a spoiler um yeah so (laughs) yeah but go ahead and a little warning to our uh listeners out there it takes some forethought and it takes i think more effort to write a non-combat boss level challenge than it does to just say okay here's your stats defense attack hit points go at it right that's so if you really want to cap your story off like we've complained about in some recent movies don't do all this setup without a payoff or don't expect there to be a payoff without it doing all the setup to get you there in the first place uh is there a puzzle that needs to be solved do you need to not a do you need is the only way you can defeat this creature to do it indirectly for example a really uh if you're attacking a a dragon in his lair maybe you can't actually hurt the dragon but you could bring the cavern down 
trapping the dragon inside. That may be the goal that you need to accomplish somehow. Uh, so, you know, keep, keep that in mind. There's indirect combat, there's puzzles, there's negotiation, there's stealth, stealing, um, other ways that you can do this can be a huge challenge, but it has to be appropriate to your story. You have to do both setup and payoff. Absolutely. Leave breadcrumbs, uh, you know, just do it the, do it the whole way along. I, I recently ran a week long campaign for a group and when they got to the, to the boss, he was invulnerable because of the way that he had been setting up his power since the first day of the session or like session one and so when they when they fought him the only way to to actually beat him was to disrupt the power source that was feeding him you know while he was being fed you couldn't touch him um and all and so it became a survival game of like survive long enough to successfully you know do x amount of things and then the encounter is over. It's not just, don't just give them high armor class and don't just give them, you know, high HP because then you're just a bunch of people swinging at a wall with a pickaxe and it eventually will probably come down. You know, <laughs> make the creatures interesting. And one of my favorite things is themes. Um, as you were talking about the Hercules uh, Hydra earlier, you know, it cuts off his head. It's like, cool, what is the theme of the creature? Like multi-attacks, heads... Um, and like regeneration and I was thinking like well, well cool like if I was to like rewrite a hydra like what if somebody like cut off its leg and it like regenerated its leg but the like but it also like regenerated like a small hydra that came off of it you know or if you split it down the middle it would just essentially be uh you know a, like a cell division mitosis and now you have two hydras to deal with like what is the what is the theme of the character? What is the theme of the creature can take you to some really interesting places? What what if they cut off part of the hydra and take it back as a trophy, like one of the heads? Uh, they they wound it oh. and the hydra runs away, and they take it home with them, and it's in their saddlebags or something, and it takes a little while, but that night another one regenerates. Yeah, tearing open their bag of holding, which has all the things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, see, and that's the, the nice thing, you know, but, you know, you can also have other challenges, uh, much like Perseus, where he had to go and tame the Pegasus to be able to write it. You know, first you have to approach without scaring it off, and then you have to be able to get on it and bond with it to fly. Uh, there are a lot of different challenges you can give uh, your players besides that. And not only that, challenges where you don't use weapons allow and force creativity. You have to think outside the box. You're now looking at your sheet, and I've done this many times myself as a player. Okay, how do I overcome this obstacle with what I have and I don't have any weapons anymore? Or I can't use a weapon because if I use a weapon, it's going to raise an alarm or something like that. Uh, you know, uh, again, I, I, I hate keep going back to the movie, but, you know, when they're in the labyrinth, there was a key scene where they start, instead of using weapons, which they could have, they use their their brains to do something different out of the box that we wouldn't have expected. Mm. Um, so those are moments when I, one, reward your players for doing that. But two, that's when the most excitement and fun I have comes about because it's like, yeah, I could have just gone in and hack and slash with my sword and killed that creature. But now I've overcome it. Uh, for example, I had a, um, a Warforged Rogue. Um, 
and I play I was playing Chaotic Evil to to the max. Uh my character was created by a wizard that thought he stole the essence of the god of mischief, but he actually stole a portion of the god himself and infused it into me. Um nice. <laughs> and you know, we're we're going down this trail, and there's these two gorillians up in the, the trees. And I have this ability to be able to talk to beasts. And everyone's like, I'm going to kill those things. And I'm like, wait a minute. I can talk to beasts. Can I talk to them? And the DM's like, sure. And so I start conversing with them. They can understand me. And, you know, they ask the question, who are you? How do you know our language? And I and I boldly proclaim, I am your God returned. You must serve me. And the nice. DM rolled and he rolled a two. He's like, yep, they believe you. So I ended up with the army of gorillians because I did. And we could have attacked and slaughtered them and just kept going. But because I did something outside the box and the dice favored me and didn't favor the DM, we ended up with this massive army of gorillians, which was amazing. One of my f- absolute favorite quotes, and I don't know where it originally came from, but I got it from a guy who was my f- favorite uh, creative professor in college. He said, oh, sorry, that's the sound of my whining dog. Uh, <laughs> I thought you, you really, you needed to eat. Wow. No, no, no. Uh, uh, he says, creativity loves constraints. If you are just, you know, if all of your options are just like full sandbox, then it's going to, you're going to default. It's it's really easy to default to what's natural, easy, and obvious. If you put, if you shrink the box, make them do something that they normally can't do or remove an option, then it makes them like have to look at things a little bit differently. Um uh, uh, yeah, again, you were mentioning Perseus. Uh, you know, when he goes to, uh, here's one that we haven't talked about, uh, the Medusa. Um, you know, he's a fantastic warrior. He can go and like take people out, you know, face to face all the time, except he can't face her. Mm-hmm. So he has to be clever and he has to find the way to deal with her, her petrifying gaze. There's, uh, I remember when I was just starting out as a, as a GM and I was getting kind of familiar with the D and D system and my combat was pretty vanilla, I think by standards today. Um, and so to make my campaigns more interesting, I was constantly going back and rereading the rule book so I could keep the rules fresh in my mind and remind myself of things I had forgotten. And I realized there's a lot more things you can do in combat than simply attack or defend uh there's tripping there's disarming you can attempt to break the weapon with your weapon and then there were all kinds of mechanics for uh marksmanship if you had a ranged weapon like a bow uh and so i began incorporating that into some of my stories sometimes you can't defeat the bad guy in like and i look this i'm reminded of this because of of what you were saying morgan you can't defeat the bad guy until you break the special MacGuffin that he's carrying right Mm -hmm. so you have to use those mechanics to try and hit this small object uh you may need to um use your bow and arrow not for combat but to hit a specific spot at, at a distance and there's all kinds of skills you can do like that. I had uh, a whole 
group of rogues whose purpose was to let the whip masters trip the party while other people with nets and other things would try to entangle them or and then once they were prone and weakened they could then be attacked and that really put some fear into the party um and then the um last thing is also using your environment again playing to the strengths of the creatures when you're in a dark place where your vision is is hampered or even in the dark where there isn't any light that may not be a problem for the monster but it could be a big problem for your players so uh, the creativity in the challenges the things they have to overcome yeah i mean as you were talking i was thinking of another instance you know what happens let's, let's say dragons have not been seen forever you know they've been missing from the, the realm much like we saw um in the dragonland series where dragons weren't around and suddenly they came back so you know your 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 party is going down the way and this gold dragon or silver dragon or bronze dragon lands in front of you you know this you don't know it's a good dragon because dragons have been gone forever dragons have been terrorizing and destroying everything as far as you know according to news reports and everything now what do you do how do you handle that and you know you're trying to attack the dragon but you notice that the dragon's not really fighting back or you know or maybe the dragon does fight back because it's trying to protect itself at this point because you're trying to kill it it doesn't know if you're good or bad people so those are opportunities to play and role play and bring that in and cause you know opportunities to second guess what you know what the players supposedly know you know much like you were saying with the vampires you know they're not the same as what we would traditionally know as a vampire, which is fantastic, and I'm even more impressed that they don't sparkle. Uh, <laughs> it was really hard not to pull that in, but I had to resist. Yeah, yeah, but it's copyrighted. I'm sure. I, I'm sure it is. <laughs> I'm sure it is, and I don't know anyone that really wants to use it. But I mean, that's that's the joy of of, of games like this. You can take a mythical creature that we know and change it around, much like you said with the Hydra. You know, instead of it growing multiple necks, it grows another mini hydra that quickly grows to a full size and so on and so forth which Uh, could um, be a pet if you're doing it properly (laughs) maybe i'm sure dragons can be pets i mean aragon Mm -hmm. had one for a while uh there is opportunity there folks so hopefully uh you know this topic has been good we've given you enough information if you have any questions have any other ideas definitely feel free to reach out to us uh, you know, hit us up at info at We'd love to talk more about subjects like this. If there's anything in the gaming realm that you would like us to talk about, let us know. And we'll definitely bring that up. Uh, we can definitely bring Morgan back. Uh, hopefully we can also have Alton on as well. Cause Alton is a treasure trove of knowledge when it comes to, uh, games like this. But with that said, we'll catch you next time. And my nerdlings, remember to always let your geek flag fly. So say we all. Like the rest of us, remember to always be epic and don't suck. Remember, the force will be with you always. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like this episode, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find us.